love him, let me hear your hands this morning. We've been on a journey on what it is that we value here at Berean. And uh, missing all of you last Sunday, I don't know where you were, but uh, I'm assuming you were here. We were at New Life Center. And I want you to pray for a New Life Center. I believe that there's a, a heart and a hunger there to fulfill God's calling on their lives. And uh, they're going to be part of our family for a while, so pray for them. And um, pray that God's will will be revealed and they'll have the creativity and the strength to follow through in that. And uh, we'll keep you posted as things go along so that you can um, lift them up in prayer. But this start of the new year, we wanted to talk about what do we value here at Berean? What makes us tick? What is it that drives our ministries, and we started off with biblical authority. This is the word of God, and I believe that it's true. This is the all-sufficient um, source of faith and conduct for us. How many believe that? Amen. Thank you, both of you. The rest of you need to repent and get right with Jesus, because this is our authority. <laughs> How many of you believe that? Come on, help me this morning. All right. It's our authority. Then we talked about intentional discipleship. We are not called to make converts, we're called to make disciples. And I have a concern in the assemblies of God that we're discipling people who have never been converted because discipleship won't turn you into a Christ follower, but Christ followers will practice disciplines. And so it starts with a relationship with Jesus and then we grow from there. Last week talked about relational ministry and uh, I've heard that Pastor Justin did a phenomenal job with that message. Let me hear your hands for him, encourage. His message. And this morning, we're going to talk about experiential worship. Experiential worship is one of our core values. Here's what our statement says Every Christ follower needs regular times of gathering together with people of like precious faith to experience the presence and power of God. Worship, in our understanding, includes anointed expressions of music corporate praise, opportunities for giving, and the proclamation of the word of God. All of those are forms and expressions of worship. And for a thought to get us started, I wanna, I wanna take you to Matthew chapter 22. And the Sadducees have come to Jesus and they're wanting to challenge him and challenge what he's teaching. Now, I've explained to you the difference between the various sects of Judaism and Pharisees were different than the Sadducees. The Sadducees basically rejected the supernatural. They didn't believe in, in angels, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help but throw that in there. So they came to him with this, with this tricky question. Because in Jewish law, if a man marries, and um, he dies without having an heir. His next brother, if he's unmarried, was required to marry her and raise up children in the brother's name. So they create this fanciful story about this brother marries and dies, and the next brother marries and dies, and the next brother marries and dies, and there's seven of them, and they want to know whose wife she will be in the resurrection. I want to know what kind of mushroom she's been feeding to her husbands. <laughs> if seven of them are dead, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to get disconnected from that family. There's something going on there. And Jesus hears that because they don't believe in the resurrection. So in the resurrection, she was married seven times to seven brides for one brother or one bride for seven brothers. And how do you sort all that out? And I want you to hear what Jesus said to them. He doesn't address the question, but he gives them the answer. And he says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Those flow together. And I want to pause there just for a moment and say, if you know the scriptures but don't know the power of God, you're religious but not in relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to memorize and know the scriptures. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? If there's no power of God, there's something broken. On the other side, if you think you know the power of God, divorced from the scriptures, you have incredible excess. I've watched that all all of my life. It's the Achilles heel of Pentecostals, our supernatural so-called expressions that get separated from the word of God. And please don't get mad at me. It's okay. You can believe what you want to believe. You can be wrong if you want to, but the manifestations have to be subject to the word of God. And there was a time, Pastor Tim, you remember, that the sign of the Holy Spirit were people being slain in the Spirit. Remember that? Someone asked, did you ever have that happen? No, I never had. I got knocked down once, really seriously. An evangelist was praying for me. God was doing something in me. I felt him powerfully, and he just leaned over until I went down on the floor, and I was okay with that. I didn't care because God was still ministering to me, but that became the sign So I was preaching in Indiana, a revival meeting, and had people come forward for prayer. And I went by and and didn't touch them, just prayed for them and went down the line. And when I came to the last lady, when I went to lay my hand on her head, I touched her heads, but I didn't push. I go to lay my hand on her head, and before I touch her, she just falls in a pile on the floor. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I miss God because I'm a skeptic. So afterwards, I said to the pastor, was that your resident charismatic (laughs) trying to make me feel good by falling down? Wasn't that spiritual? That wasn't a word of wisdom. That was a word of flesh because he said, oh, no, you have no idea. She's made it clear. She will never be slain in the spirit she has made that clear and when you went to touch her God knocked the soup out of her so I do know that God can do supernatural things I talked to a friend pastor that went to um, a revival meeting in another part of the United States and he said the power of God came on him and he laid face down on the carpet doing carpet time. They called it sucking the carpet or doing carpet time. Was there for two hours. They finally carry him out and put him in a car and take him home. And I said, wow, that's amazing. What did God do in your life? And he said, well, nothing that I know of. Sounds to me like he needed a nap and had been more comfortable in his motel room. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be smart, Alec, but I've watched all the things all of my life. I've watched people run. I've watched people roll. I've watched people dance. I've watched all of that. And I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying if you're seeking an experience, it has to be connected to the word of God. And if you're going to understand the word of God, it's got to be connected to the power of God. We need those in balance. And I'll let, I mean, I'm not in the place to try to manage whatever God's doing, but I do think we need to anchor it to the book. Right. Remember one, uh, one situation I was in, pastoring, and a, and a lady, can I tell this story? Is that okay? Thank you. <laughs> I'm watching my wife when she's going to give me the signal. It's time to start preaching and quit telling stories. But she was dancing at the front. And whenever she would dance at the front in the spirit, she would dance down to the front and get in front of everybody and face them and do a little spiritual gyration. And and it was really distracting. You see, when worship calls attention to you, you're missing the word that says the attention needs to be on him. And I said, I'm for you dancing. I'm just not for you dancing in front of people. Why don't you dance at the back? And that lasted one week. Are you hearing me? I am for the manifestation of the Spirit, but I'm also for the authority of the Word of God and to link those together. And also know that we are sometimes afraid that we'll be accused of excess, and then we're afraid to step forward because we might look silly. And some of you would break out in revival if you just look silly once in a while. It would humble you a little bit. So I'm saying, he's saying to them, you're asking the wrong questions because you don't know the Word of God and you don't don't know the power 
of God. So one of our values here is that we would experience both the word of God and the power of God, and we want our worship experience experience to be experiential. Giving is a worship experience. Preaching is a worship experience. You say, Pastor, you ask for people to respond to say amen or do something. Are you that needy? No. Now listen to me. I already know that what I have to say is going to be good. That sound really arrogant. But I've worked hard to make sure it makes sense. But I also know that if I'm, and I'm being facetious with that, as Paul, I speak like a fool. I don't know if it's good or not good. I'm just saying I've worked hard at it. How many are hearing what I'm saying? But I'm not here to give a lecture and have you give me a grade. I'm here believing that the word of God carries God's anointing. And on that anointing comes a deliverance from bondages. And that nothing will happen if preaching isn't experiential. If you're engaging with me in the word of God, there's no telling what God might do. And I'm not content to simply preach to cut, 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 cut cardboard cutouts. I want to preach to people that are engaging the word of God. Now is there anyone in the house that we're doing this together? Preaching is prophetic. Preaching is anointed. Preaching needs to be experiential. And the same is true with worship. The worship experience isn't about watching someone put on a good show. But I will tell you, while it is not performance driven, I've never seen worship without talent that le- or music without talent that led into worship. There's got to be talent, there's got to be ability, there's got to be rehearsals, there's got to be a strategy, and then you believe for the anointing to come. Because we're not here with the worship team to put on a show. We're not here to have you go, wow, they are amazing. The greatest thing that can happen during worship in music or worship in preaching is that someone would say, God touched my life. I spoke yesterday at a men's breakfast. About 60 men gathered, and one of the men came to me afterwards and said, you helped me today. God spoke to my heart. Do you know what that tells me? It's not about what I said. It's about the God who was in the room, and we created an environment where God could touch someone's heart, and I rejoice in that because worship here, we want to be experiential. You have to know the power of God and the word of God. They have to flow together. So let me talk to you. Some of this I've said before, but I just want to take a moment with it to rebuild some foundations. I want to talk to you about the model for experiential worship. And I think the best model for experiential worship is in Psalm 100. The book of Psalms is the hymn book of the Old Testament church. And these were meant to be sung. And in Psalm 100, there's a model for worship that I want you to see. Verse 1, turn there in your scriptures, your digital device. I want you to look at Psalm 100. It says in verse 1, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Another translation tells us that we're to make a joyful shout to the Lord all you lands. So the call is for a joyful shout. <laughs> but I'm Norwegian. I'm a northerner. We don't get excited. Oh, oh. yeah, I've watched you drive. Let someone at High V cheat you out of a buck and a half and see how you respond. Hello? We are responsive, and I, and I get it. I know that loud can get too loud, and I know, but I also know soft can get dead. And there's scientific um, studies done about sound pressure and which which uh, frequencies to push. And often it's not volume; it's which it's the mix that's happening. All of that. We look at that. We measure it. We study that. We try to do the right thing. But I will tell you, there are times that God is calling us to make a loud noise, make a joyful noise, all ye lands. We're to sing loudly and give Him praise loudly. There are times when it should explode out of our hearts. The call in Psalm 100 is to that place of worship to shout for joy. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. Good, 
It's supposed to. There's times there should be some energy. So how does that happen? There are some foundations for worship that are the scriptures out of which everything else grows. And I want you to see those. What is the biblical foundation for the model for worship? First, it's in verse 3. What do you need to know? You need to know that the Lord is God. When we gather together, you need to know that the Lord is God. There is nothing impossible to him. As Pastor Nathan was exhorting, there is nothing that he cannot do. Did you come in this morning believing that the Lord is God. You need to know that. You need to be in relationship with him. He is the ruler of the universe and of all of creation. It is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. You didn't evolve from an ape, I'm sorry, to tell you that you're not the master of your own destiny. And when people tell you you can be anything you want to be, that is not true. You were created for a purpose. You were created for a reason by the hand of God. And you need to know that the Lord, he is God. He made you and you did not make yourself. I was reading and you'll have to, you'll have to forgive me for this sports analogy, but I'm having such a great time watching Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy has a clear, strong faith testimony. I just wish he had been a Hawkeye. I'm thankful he wasn't from Nebraska. But they asked him, I love this. They said, how are you handling, watch, how are you handling the pressures of Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft, quarterbacking this team? How are you handling that? And here's what he said, I love this. He said, I wasn't born for football, I have a life. And if you listen to the other things he says, he knows that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. And he didn't say this, but the inference was if football falls apart, I still have a purpose and a calling and a direction. And when you come into the house of God, if you begin with that, know that he is God. It's he that's made us, not we ourselves. You're not the master of your destiny. You're not in charge of your future. There's a God who created you who's in charge. And that becomes the foundation. Are you hearing me this morning? That becomes the foundation for worship. Then it goes on from there. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Do you believe that? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. If you're the sheep of his pasture, then that means he will take care of you. (laughs) So when you say, I don't know what I'm going to do, you've taken your eyes off the shepherd. When you say, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this situation, you're not looking at the shepherd because it is the shepherd that we follow. We are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture. So that becomes the foundation. You've gotta, that's the scriptures that you need to know if you're gonna experience the power of God. And then it says in verse five, for the Lord is good. Do you believe that? When we come to the house of God, if you're gonna be a worshiper, it starts with believing that the Lord is good. Everything in my life isn't good. I love it when people say, how's everything going? I never say great. I say everything's not good, but Jesus is still Lord. And he is good to me. He is good. Good. We bring that into the house of God when we approach him for worship and his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. If you're gonna be an experiential worshiper, there's a foundation that you have to believe. Know that the Lord he is God. Is he that's made us not we ourselves, whereas his people in the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and truth endures to all generations. And then your lifestyle matters. In verse two, serve the Lord with gladness. Be happy about being a child of God and do the work of the kingdom. Serve him with gladness. So it starts with what you believe and then it moves to how you live. Is anybody following me in this? This is making sense. It starts with what you believe and then moves to how you live. You're serving him. Your life is here to serve his purposes. Then you can become a worshiper and experience the power of God. How does that happen? It's easy. 
I won't take time this morning to unpack the whole Old Testament tabernacle, but it's based on that. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. You want to experience the power of God? Then you choose to start off with thanksgiving. In fact, I've thought about changing our greeter's um, approach. I think when you come in the door, we shouldn't let you in until you answer this question, what are you thankful for today? (laughs) And we should have guards at that door. You're not coming in the sanctuary till you can tell me what you're thankful for. People don't tell you what they're upset about, what they're complaining about, what they're grumping about. But if you want to be a worshiper, you enter, hello, you enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. You have something to be thankful for and that opens the door to come into the presence of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Then what? You come into his courts with praise. He is a wonderful God. He is a great God. His mercy endures forever. He is faithful. He is just. He is true. He is loving. He is kind. And I'm telling you, you can't begin praising him without the presence of God beginning to inhabit your space. Now watch. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And part of praise is what? Be thankful and bless his name. And then, how do we get before God? Pause and say, the worship service is much more theologically and spiritually important than we often give credit to. You come before his presence, watch, not with thanksgiving, not with praise. That's how you get to the place where you can move into his presence. You come before him, what is he expecting? With singing. Woo! You come before his presence with singing. (laughs) I'm gonna meddle a little bit. I'm just feeling it in my bones. I look out sometimes and I see people, never here, but when I'm other places. Are you kidding me? Well, I didn't get anything out of the service. You can't pour anything in a jar when the lid's on. Hello? Tell me you didn't get anything out of it. The issue is you. People stand there. Think it's a little loud. Enter his gates. Come on. With thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise come before his presence with singing there is something supernatural that happens when we sing his praises together there is something that happens that can't be created in any other way there is power in corporate praise i'll never forget i tried an experiment some years ago and i'm I, i'm trying to be i'm trying to behave you might have to come play the keyboard early Because I get so tired of worship, we're not having them here, but of worship wars and arguments about the style of worship, because our goal should be, how do we get into his presence? Come before his presence with singing. And I tried something. We were trying to, we were trying to become a little more contemporary. People say, well, I don't believe in contemporary worship. Do you know what the, operative, the opposite of contemporary is? It's called out of date. <laughs> I want my milk to be contemporary. I want my meat to be contemporary. I don't want it to be expired. So that doesn't mean all, I'm just saying that contemporary is a bad word and old school is a good word. I think there's a place for all kinds of expressions of worship, but the focus should be on him. And so I I was trying to create some change and get people to engage in worship. And so we sang two songs back to back. I was actually the worship leader then. You can be thankful that's not happening now, but I was the worship leader and we led two songs together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. How many know that song? And then open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We did them together. I watched and I was appalled. It was a long time ago. Because when he sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus, the group over 40, and it was long enough that open the eyes of my heart, Lord, was relatively new. 20 years or so. No, relatively new. 
And when we went to open the eyes of my heart, 40 people, 40-year-old dropped their hands and the under 40 raised their hands. And I stopped and rebuked the whole room because I can worship to either one of those. If you will turn your eyes upon Jesus, he will open the eyes of your heart. Let's move into his presence. Something powerful happens when we sing. The model is, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So let's talk. That's the model. What's the means to experiential worship? In Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to have a little fun with this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, we're called to be filled with the Spirit. That's the call of the church. That's what happened in the book of Acts, that we are to be people of the Spirit. If any man has have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. We need to have the spirit of God alive in us. That's what being born again is. Not taking a class, but the spirit of God makes Jesus real to you. A miracle happens and you're a new creature, new creature in Christ. How many are with me on that? And so then we're to walk by faith. We're to walk by the spirit. We're to live by the spirit. We're to be guided by the spirit. It's all part of how we should live. It should be the desire of every believer to be filled with the spirit well this is going to take me a little longer apparently speaking to one another now you can take that a couple ways but I believe what he's telling us is if you want to enjoy a spirit filled life it is essential that we have corporate gatherings that we speak to one another about spiritual things and build one another up. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in three ways. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Many years ago, and for many years since, I heard psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs described this way. Singing the psalms is singing scripture songs. So if we're going to be balanced, we need to have psalms, scripture songs. And then hymns, we need to sing the old stuff. And then spiritual songs are the new stuff. So we sing scripture, we sing old stuff, and we sing new stuff. And that is a perfect example of inappropriately applying contemporary definitions to a New Testament text. That's no more true than it is to say the Holy Spirit is an Afghan because he's called the comforter. Are you hearing me? So, so what do those words mean? How many of you know that the New Testament wasn't written in English? It was written in King James English, I know. No, it's, it was written in Greek. What do those words mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you. The word psalm isn't a unique word for scriptures. It's a word that means a striking or a twanging as in striking of chords on an instrument. The word is used for the book of Psalms, but it's not unique to that usage. Psalms are simply songs sung with musical accompaniment. That's what that word means. Speaking to yourselves in songs that are accompanied by twanging, picking, chords, music, and they, and they would do that in Old Testament worship with loud instruments. It's the word psalms. Go ahead, study it. Come after me. Challenge me if you want. The word psalms is applied to the collection of poetry that we call psalms because it was intended to be sung with the support of accompaniment. So what is he saying? Speaking to yourselves with songs that have music accompanying them. Psalms and hymns. What are hymns? Hymns are old stuff, right? <laughs> no, they're not. The word hymns comes from the Greek word humnas, and it means to give honor, praise, or thanksgiving to gods or heroes. So in New Testament times, any ode that praised anybody was called a hymn. When the conquering army would come back into, into the city, they would sing hymns. On a day of coronation, they would sing a hymn, a song of praise or an ode to someone worthy of being praised. Paul's usage clearly is referring to the true God and any song that praises him. So sing psalms, musical accompaniment. Sing hymns. What are those? 
Those are songs that praise our God. Are you still with me? (laughs) Somebody just backslid. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to tear down some things that get in our way. Psalms and hymns and what are spiritual songs? Spiritual songs comes from two Greek words, a combination of pneuma, Numas, which means the Holy Spirit, and ode, which means for supernatural singing. So Paul is addressing singing in the Spirit, a supernatural utterance that is spontaneous in spirit, empowered. It's not a reference to any published music. It's not about a new work, but it's a song in the Spirit. Paul says it this way, I will sing with my understanding, and I will sing in the Spirit. He says, I'll pray with my understanding, and I'll pray in the Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I would challenge you, Spirit-filled tongue talkers, to step into a spiritual realm and put your prayer language to music begin to sing that and watch what great things God might do we used to do that Tim we used to do that all the time we would challenge people just begin to sing a new song sing in the spirit and that is fully biblical so he's saying if you want to be filled with the spirit then you need to sing songs that are accompanied by instrumentation you need to sing songs that give praise and glory to God and you need to sing songs that bypass the intellect and come from the spirit man that's what those words mean and when you sing that way then corporately we will be filled with the spirit of god that's why the corporate worship service is so important includes songs with musical accompaniment songs that give praise to god and songs that are initiated by god's spirit it has absolutely unequivocally nothing to do with various musical styles or genres so when he says to be filled with the Spirit, do you, are you seeing this? We're to come before his very presence with singing. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, speak to one another. Share it together. I'm not saying out in the, out in the lobby, how are you doing? Well, I am feeling amazing grace. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're to speak to one another corporately in worship. How many are hearing what I'm saying? That there is something powerful in that moment. And we desperately want that here. We want expressions. And we have to learn. And we have to be guided by that. I've been in those services where people have prophesied wrongly. And you say, what about tongues interpretation? And I want to say, what about healing and discerning of spirits and working of miracles? They're all available to those that are spirit-filled. Let's walk in all of that. And you have to learn the difference when there is God trying to prophesy out of you. Or you're just feeling an unction to intercede before him all of those are included in that but if we want the moving of the spirit we can't sing simply following along as a karaoke night we have to have an experiential move that we're singing knowing that we're moving into the presence of God and there'll be those moments that he fills the room and when he fills the room we'll be filled with his spirit so the whole idea is there things you have to know You need to enter his gates, enter his courts, come before his presence. And if you want to be filled with the spirit, then you need to be speaking to one another. Now, I want to talk to you about how God measures our worship. Okay, everybody still with me so far? How does God measure experiential worship? Well, God can give us a zero. Watch what happens. In Revelation chapter three, verse one, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. How do I say this? I don't want to be mean. But I think in many churches across America, Pentecostal churches who claim to be spirit-filled would go on just the same if God didn't come. We say we don't have a liturgy, but we do. We have a form and a structure. And God looks at us and says, you have a name over the door that says full gospel, spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic, but I see what's really happening inside and you're dead. Because dead isn't how incredible the music is. 
Dead isn't whether the preaching is energetic or quiet. Dead is what is God doing in the room? Come on, what is God doing in the room? It's possible for God to look at a church service and say, you claim to be alive, but you are dead. That would be a horrific thing. And he calls the church to come back and to repent and get back in that place when they were desperate. Do you know why the greatest um, means of evangelism today is church planting? It's because church planting involves a group of people that don't have enough to get by and they're desperate to reach new people and to build new ministries, but it's easy over time for us to become content and rest knowing that we don't have to invest, we don't have to engage for the service to go on as it probably should. There has to be a moving in the room a moving in the room that cannot be measured. And it's not like all the time the same or the form every time, but there'll be times that God will interrupt, that God will speak, that God will move. But right now, is God talking to you? Is he speaking to you? It doesn't matter what's coming out of my mouth. Well, it does matter. Um, That's been pointed out to me a few times, but it does matter what comes out. But what really matters is what are you hearing? What are you hearing? What is God saying to you? What is he speaking to? Experiential worship. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21, the name Ichabod, there's a battle. And Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are doing horrible things. And there's a battle against the nation and the ark is taken away. And Eli hears about that and his sons are dead. The ark, which represented the presence of God, is stripped away. And it says that Eli, who was a very heavy and old man, fell over backwards and broke his neck. And his daughter-in-law is about to give birth and her husband is dead. Her brother-in-law is dead. Her father-in-law is dead. There is nothing left and the ark is taken away. And she names her child Ichabod. The glory has departed. <laughs> Last Sunday while I was at New Life Center, I just have to tell you, you don't have to have all the trappings to enter into worship because there were worshipers there. Yesterday, 60 men gathered for a prayer breakfast and they had worship and there were worshipers there. And that's measured by the moving of God in the room. Let's not ever be satisfied with the glory having departed to say, I didn't sense God. Now that might be your problem or it might be our problem, but God can look at us and give us a big fat zero. In the book of Ezekiel, because of their sin and rebellion, it tells us that the presence of God moved from the holy place to the threshold of the temple. And then it rises up out of the city and moves to the mountain east of the city the spirit of God lifted and moved and walked away from the temple and it was unknown wouldn't it be horrible to have God look at us and say I'm giving you a zero because you have a name that you live but are dead that'd be a horrible thing that's one way God measures but then I read in 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 when Psalm finished praying for the dedication of the temple fire came down from heaven consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of God filled it when all the Israelites saw fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to God saying he is good his love endures forever then the king and the people offered sacrifices before the Lord God also measures a ten when he moves into a room and there are those times that it used to be common in the early days of Pentecost that they would talk about those moments when you could feel the presence of God, times that you could see the Shekinah visible glory of God. I could tell story after story and I am not at all interested in replicating 1914. I want a fresh visitation in 2023 that we walk out saying God was in the house and it was good to us. God moved in. That's how the church was born in Acts chapter 2. They were all 
in one place because there is something that happens in corporate worship. They were all in one place and in one accord. That is a miracle in and of itself. They were in one place and in unity when suddenly there came a sound. Whoo! There came a sound like a rushing mighty wind. There was no wind. There was no blowing. They didn't feel anything. They heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And suddenly there appeared to them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And it was so loud that it was heard all over town without a sound system. And they gathered round outside the windows and said what in the world is going on here how is it that we hear every man speak in our own language the wonderful works of God and Peter begins to preach and 3,000 men and women give their lives to Jesus Christ because God moved into the room and the church was responsive and they began to magnify him that's how the church was born I'm convinced that if we had the presence of God in the house of God we'd see more people hungry for God and more people surrendering their lives to Jesus. It's how we're born. Then the church gets into some trouble, some hard days, and we come to chapter four, and they're threatened that they cannot preach. You need to shut your mouths, no longer speak in his name. And they refuse to do that, but they come back to their own people and they pray, God, will you give us boldness to speak more loudly? They've told us to be more quiet. We want to be more bold. Will you give us boldness? And it says that God shook the very room where they were and they spoke the name of the Lord with boldness. There was a physical manifestation of God that shook the very house. It is how the church was born. Now, let me be really, really clear. I'm not at all interested in recreating 1914. I'm not at all interested in creating 1960. I'm not at all interested in recreating 1990. We need a fresh touch from God in 2023. And it will look different because, watch this, the old temple got destroyed and a new temple was built and when they built a new temple, do you know what God said? Do not say that the old temple was better. And I'm saying to you, do not say it was better in my youth. It was better in my young days. But today, God wants to do a new thing and a fresh thing. And I will tell you what drives us every time we gather is our people experiencing the power and blessing and anointing of God. We want experiential worship. I want it to be impossible for you to sit there and come in the same and go out the same. People say, wouldn't it be tragic if someone who didn't know Jesus came to our services week after week and never felt convicted? I'll tell you, there's only one reason that, a, that an unbeliever could come into the house of God, sit here week after week and be unmoved. It's because the saints of God are unmoved. But when we respond, they will say, God was in the house. So I'm not asking you to run or hoop and holler or roll. I've seen all that. I've seen them roll. I mean, I've seen amazing things. But what I'm most concerned about isn't how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. What is he doing in your heart? Are you responding to him? And I'm gonna grab something from yesterday from the prayer breakfast that I was at that, that I was trying not to go to. I was trying to, because that was for yesterday, but I believe it's for today. A good friend of mine, he's preached, I think he's preached here, I know he preached for many names, Tom Green, died a couple of days ago. His wife found him on the bathroom floor. He didn't even have a chance to cry out, dropped dead done more for missions and fundraising than anybody that I know. He never met a stranger. He loved kids. He loved adults. He loved people. He was national youth director, speed light, men's ministry, light for the lost, raising money, always working for the kingdom. But he is gone. And everything that he planned to do this year will never happen. 
And we get caught saying, I'll do it tomorrow. I've listened to people say, well, God talked to me about tithing and I'll start, but I have to get some bills paid and I, I need a better job. And then, no, 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 no. If God has moved on you in the worship service, he speaks to you. If God talks to you, when is the time to respond? Today is the day. Now is the time when the spirit of God is moving. And I hear people say, well, I'll deal with that when I get home. Are you kidding me? If you're in the room where God is moving and the, and the Spirit of God is, is touching hearts and you don't respond, you think you're going to walk out of here and then respond when you won't respond when he is here? No, you'll forget about it. You'll lose that sense of urgency. So I'm saying to you, experiential worship is present tense. It's now. It's today. Don't plan to be a worshiper later. Be one today. Let's engage in experiential worship. When you give, you're worshiping God. You're not paying bills. You're worshiping God when you give and God will bless you. When we sing, we're coming before his presence. When the word is preached, we're linking together the knowledge of the scriptures with the power of God. We believe. We believe in experiential worship, that you would take a step forward and experience God. That's a core value for Berean Church. So could we stand together and just take a moment or two, just a moment or two to experience him. Just reach out and let him touch your heart. Reach out, let him warm your soul. Reach out and listen for his voice.
Lord Jesus, please help us. Give us hearts that are hungry for you, that won't be satisfied with religious expression, but will only be satisfied with a relational connection to you that changes our lives. Help us be passionate, purposeful worshipers, hungry to see your will done and your glory manifest. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone who loves him said, amen, amen. Let me tell you the best way to make that happen. If you wait to be a worshiper till you come in here, you'll never find it. But if you get alone in your private closet of prayer and stay there till you experience him, everything here will change because it will be a house of worshipers. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Amen. God bless you. You can bring the house lights up. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your faithful giving, enabling us to keep doing the work of the kingdom. Don't forget, next Sunday night is our annual business meeting. And we'll be sharing some exciting things about what God has done and where we see God taking us. So don't miss that. If you're not a member, you can still come. You have to be a member to vote. But invite everyone to come and be part of that next Sunday night. Amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Let them know you love them.